becoming clear to me the concept of retail media is completely underrepresented in terms of mindshare. You get a handful of people like, man, Amazon's really got an ad business now. Yeah, it's been growing. It's like this thing's Facebook a few years ago, but it's growing faster than Facebook was then. And so I think this there's a billion dollar retail media business at Target that's like almost unknown to the masses. Welcome to season four of Perpetual, where you'll get the hottest takes and insights on what's happening in the constantly shifting world of media and marketing. I'm Adam Ryan. Let's go. Today, I have the co-founder and CEO of Advon Commerce, Ben Faw, with me. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's great to be here. Absolutely. We were introduced. I was doing a deep dive for my summit a couple of weeks ago on content and commerce and interviewing a bunch of uh, different folks in the space. And repeatedly, your name came up of like, you have to talk to Ben, you have to talk to Ben. Can you tell everyone what Advon does, how you play in the content and commerce space? I think they, to properly give the evolution in the in the kind of one minute summary is, you know, as a co-founder at Best Reviews, which I was fortunate enough to, to build out starting in 2014, we, we were very much focused on this content commerce intersection and, and grew that to one of the largest independent review sites in, in the U.S. market, particularly a very large partner of Amazon's. What we saw through that was there's this big opportunity to help consumers who aren't sure, you know, which air fryer to purchase or which rowing machine, helping them make that purchasing decision through quality editorial content. And um, you know, we sold that, fortunate enough to, to have a, a positive outcome with, with Tribune Publishing later to Nexstar. And um, as I moved to an advisory role, one insight along the way was people coming up and saying, hey, did you create some sort of B2B license play or software and services where we can take advantage of what you've built at best reviews to help our publication or, or our media properties scale commerce, content commerce revenue streams. And that was really the inspiration and um, initial seed for, for what's now Advon. There's so many people building tools in the space and the most credible founders are the ones that are building tools for the problems that existed. Tyler Dang from Beehive is doing this. He came from Morning Brew for newsletters. You know, Best reviews had a $160 million exit. Tribune, but I think it was like 9 million monthly visitors or something wild like that. Obviously, you were converting users at an incredibly high pace, learning the ins and outs of the logistics of that, which is where a lot of people get caught up is like, how do we do this? And so one thing that I uh, diving into a little bit of how you're thinking about the future, I'd love to kind of understand, like, if you're looking at this space, what if you're a founder building what kind of other company are you looking at in the next 12 months that you think most people should be, be paying attention to in this industry? I think there's a lot to be said for um, what's happening on this machine learning and AI side of the house. Um, I know you've followed some of this and have the familiarity, but when we think of um, Jasper, when we think of a copy AI, I think that that is in the earliest innings. Maybe not even in the innings, maybe not even in the ballpark yet. And um, my sense is, read between the lines, 12 months from now, a lot of people will be familiar. And the kind of floodgates of change, innovation, whether it be policy, regulatory, legal, compliance, revenues, costs, is, is massive. And so my sense is there's a whole lot coming down that pipe and it ends up influencing and impacting each part of the ecosystem, whether you be a publisher of content, a consumer of content, um, an advertiser through content, subscribers, it's, it's very, I think, influential. Well, and we'll get into 
the thing that you've you've done so well, but just looking at your past, right? Search is what you've you've ranked well for. It's it's kind of your bread and butter. One of the stories that uh, I recently heard, and there's this is a lot of controversy around this concept, but I spoke with someone who has hundreds of hours of video content that they've created and owned on their own YouTube page. They transcribed all of that and built out on Copy AI. They built out the voice and everything they wanted, which you can do there, uploaded it all. And it produced 60,000 pieces of content for their website, which then elevated their SEO immediately. And they could do this in like a hundredth of the time as the past, right? When you think about throughout since 2014, the changes in search, uh, which there's been significant changes, uh, Google algorithms changing constantly. What other moments since then has seemed as revolutionary or as a huge change as, as AI driven content could create for search? Because of the way that Google will do kind of, hey, major change, and then there'll typically be these rollbacks, as a, a lot of people in the industry think about it, major change, rollback. But I think if you look at those and start to unpack what's happening behind the scenes, the other one that would stick out to me, and I bet a thousand people will argue otherwise, would be implementation of Chrome browser data into the search engine results page. And I think what that translates into is more of an emphasis on things like engagement, scroll patterns, dwell time. Engagement could be you know, a session on a page, but it could be, are you going into a deeper part of the page? Are you clicking on that page? Are you watching a video? And I think using that Chrome browser data, which has not been a like overnight, boom, everything's different. But I think over a period of time, let's say over the last two years, I think that's been incredibly influential and, and has shifted how the search engines operate in a meaningful way. When they've moved it towards more quality over quantity, which kind of then goes against, you know, that's, that's the promise of, of tools like copy AI and Jasper's like, can they actually create quality content that can pass the robot sniff test, you know, uh, that people are engaging and driving more forward. If they don't, then it's just a massive waste of time. Completely agree. And you can see some of this. I think the push for expertise, which we've seen, you know, you can see some top quality publications, whether they be in the commerce world um, or otherwise, try to bring in, and we've seen some publications using multiple authority experts in one article, which that, you know, if you think about how to like do something from an algorithmic AI and ML perspective, that's almost impossible to have legitimate experts weigh in who have high quality independent websites of their own, you know, whether it be a doctor, if you're writing some article about medical related things, or maybe it be some sort of landscape specialist who has a landscaping company, those things are trickier to accomplish at a low cost, high production volume. So I think that in the future, those things probably continue to matter maybe more. And I think, guess what? It's, It's still hard. Like show me someone who's got some like AI way to get a thousand high quality backlinks from really top quality domains. I've not seen it or heard of it. So my sense is back to like Larry Page's page rank, you're going to see the super high authority link from, you know, nyt.com continue to carry heavy weight. The interesting opportunity would be as you're thinking through, if you're thinking about like AI content and if you were like, my number one goal is to capture, how can I start a business that could you know, make content a hundred times faster and easier. I think you have to really pay attention to your point of like what industry or category you're getting into. The more fact-based, the more industry expertise that's not needed, 
probably the higher chance that you can spin this out. I tweeted something around. I was doing an article around Simon Cowell, just like a little piece around his career. And the AI basically like wrote the whole thing because it was just, you know, it's just like doing research for me in live time. Or if I was actually writing about like my breakdown of how Simon Cowell actually like judges talent and my opinion of how he judges talent, that's never going to be able to capitalize. And you have to just be be aware of, of, of the industry that you're getting into there. Ironically, my advisor at Harvard Business School, who's now the dean there, is this guy named Shrikant Daughter. And he was very, very focused on design thinking and innovation. And, you know, it was interesting, relevant, important 2013, 2014. I think it's 100 times more important, more interesting and more relevant today, because if you're bringing your opinion and your perspective gleaned from all of your life experience to perspective on Simon Cowell, there's something about that that's really, to your point, almost impossible to replicate. And the same can happen down in other niches where you're taking something that's just, you know, it's just innovation at its core. You haven't been behind too many trends, uh, particularly in the in the search and affiliate game. But if you had to look back of the last 12 months or so, it's it's October of 21. What did you wish you were doing then that you that you didn't capitalize on back then that you're doing now? There's a new project I'm involved with, which is starting to lean into something I should have been leaning into a year ago, which was, you know, we had a lot of expertise with um, best reviews of taking users, looking at all the different intent characteristics you know, time of day, device, all these factors, the keyword they're searching, thinking about understanding that, creating the right experience with the right editorial content to then help that person make a better purchasing decision, on, oftentimes on Amazon, but on other sites. There became this interest across the board, I think, where, where what we didn't do there was we, we didn't have any connection with the brand itself. You know, we're driving sales for Procter & Gamble's Tide laundry detergent and many, many tens of thousands of brands on Amazon and, and Walmart, but we just didn't have any connection with that. And we weren't thinking about that in a way we could have and should have. And I think a next evolution is how do you take the skills from Google and Bing and apply those in a way that you drive those same high intent, ready to purchase users to the right product detail pages, to the right shop or store on Amazon or other retail sites. I think there's a big, a big opportunity there that Frankly, we, we probably could have and should have been executing on um, a year ago. Let's dig into the tactics of this. So for everyone listening, I think Ben is a is a go-to person that understands not only the publisher and affiliate model, which uh, is something that Best Reviews essentially did, but then all of the traffic there was primarily driving to Amazon, which also means that you've had to you had to be as good at Amazon as you are driving high quality content to that site and you have to become an expert of both let's break down for all the folks who still sell on amazon i know the folks at thrasio a bunch of people listen to this podcast that are in amazon what has shifted in the last six to 12 months in amazon from a seller perspective that that people need to know yeah i don't think i'm the expert here by any means adam on, on this nuanced part of it but i think it's the same evolution you see with google if you rerun the wheel 10 years ago guess what Organic search is this, you know, massive opportunity and paid search is a smallish share of searches, which Google will say it's similar share today, but what they're doing is right. There's a lot more search happening for Thomas Jefferson and who is Abraham Lincoln, which have no commercial value. And there is no paid unit there. But when you go into the world of best air fryer or buy rowing machine, you're finding an incredible amount of paid search units to the point where like, guess what? Most consumers 
that we often forget about, they don't even know the difference between when they're hitting a Google ad and the organic search. They think they're going to the first organic search result when they click on the first text ad. That evolution is playing out in Amazon in real time. Because guess what? Amazon's a public company. They have two business units that are just generally speaking on fire. It's called AWS and their ads business. And you know what? When they need to deliver numbers for the street, and they do, they're going to figure out ways to cram in more and more advertising inventory. So the seller that used to make 100,000 bucks a month off of their number one organic listing on Amazon suddenly makes 30. Or the other one is Amazon Basics, right? And, and other proxies that are effectively an Amazon Basic. Suddenly, you know, call it fair, call it unfair, that's a separate discussion. Suddenly, Amazon Basics ranks number one or has all these random slots in inventory. So it's to me, the inventory is growing, but the size of the pie that is organic, that's high quality inventory is shrinking, one could argue. And I think there's a lot of data to support that. And so then if you're a seller, the goal is how do you rank higher? That's one question. And then the other one is, how do you drive more channels? And I think everyone listening to this call, even if you're not an Amazon seller, we've all, uh, you know, uh, we've seen the horror stories of uh, littlethings.com, depending on Facebook, video, number one source, and then, you know, all of a sudden, six months later, they're out of business. We can't depend on one channel. Uh, it just doesn't work across the board. Uh, you can't become overly reliant on one traffic source to drive your business forward. You've historically been able to help folks drive editorial content through publishing partners, et cetera, and then drive that to Amazon. How are you thinking about the next drive of traffic to help Amazon sellers? I will be involved with a project that will be live probably the date of this recording being released where we... Um, we're leaning into taking advantage of you know, a lot of the insights and, and learnings we have over our careers and, and trying to really bring a great solution to take the Google, the Bing, the Yahoo search and bring that to Amazon seller or, or brand manufacturer, bring it to their PDP or storefront in a way that we can get a strong return on ad spend for them. And I think for those brands and sellers that are on those platforms, it's an opportunity to do, to your point, three things at once. One, diversify away from dependency on Amazon for advertising spend, and particularly where the costs have become prohibitive. Two, you know, bring in something that's outside of the, the kind of platform and ecosystem that is net new users to introduce to your brand, where they might have gone to another one. And then I think the last that's as important as the other two is from all the um, learnings we've had so far in, 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 in betas and pilots here, the impact on the organic search position in Amazon. So the Amazon SEO is quite positive um, as well when you bring in that high quality traffic from outside the platform inside, which makes sense because I think we all know what Amazon, well, on those podcasts, I think we know what Amazon's doing on the other side is, let's say 50% of those users convert. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter. All 100% of the users that anyone drives to Amazon, Amazon puts them into their DSP, they put them into their CRMs, and they're sitting there making a ton of money off them on the other side. And so from an Amazon perspective, they just couldn't be happier for more outside traffic to hit Amazon's own site. Well, and the competitiveness is for those CPCs inside of Amazon. They're high for a reason. The demand is there. So they're, they're essentially being able to to have a win-win solution while keeping a competitive on-platform and what you're doing is essentially recognizing channels off-platform that can optimize paid spend. So 
if Amazon's cost per click, which if it's anything like how Meta's been in Facebook, it's just going up and up and up because they, to your point, they have to report to the street, higher revenue per user, et cetera, uh, try to squeeze a little bit more margin out of everything they have. You're saying if you have a seller that has it's spending on Google or Bing, you can essentially create new opportunities using intelligence in, in your platform to allow more cost-effective spend directly in. So now that, that user is going from Google directly to buy that, that piece on Amazon, Amazon views that as organic traffic, so then you'll just rank higher. I think they really value when that when traffic comes from outside the ecosystem, and you'll see this same thread when you talk to influencers and people in that ecosystem. When you can send users into Amazon that have intent that make a purchase on that PDP, it's, it seems to be rewarded almost 100% of the time. And so that traffic could be, you could have an, an email program, you could have uh, paid search, organic search, influencers driving traffic in from, from a Facebook, a TikTok, YouTube. Each angle is, is one that I think is interesting and, 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 and noteworthy. I think that some of them, as you're aware, have more complexities than others, and some I, I have less experience in. So I think for me, it's kind of starting where I feel like I'm more down the fairway than um, some of the places where I, I just don't have as much experience myself. The lesson I love to uh, tell when thinking about content e-commerce, like if you're actually going to use it as a strategy, as your strategy to drive revenue, you have to diversify your channels. And one means you can have a good business. Two means you have a great business. Three means you're probably a category winner. And to your point, you don't have to know all of them. TikTok, Google, Bing, Amazon, they're all different channels that have to master. But really, you only need you only need two to three to have just an outstanding business. For everyone looking, I think search is one of the most underrated aspects right now. Just taking a step back a little bit away from Amazon. I get asked about newsletters all the time, uh, and I believe in them. I think there's a great source of data that creates a wedge, a direct relationship with your audience, not algo dependent, all those good things that everyone knows about newsletters now. I think people are just completely forgetting the power of search and what's what can actually happen there. If you were to start all over and you were sitting in a publisher position, would you go after an SEO type model, which is more web driven, or would you go more more newsletter? How, what do you think is, is still the winning category today? I like both, to be honest, and it comes back to your kind of one, two, three for, for diversification. Um, what's awesome about the newsletters, and I, look, I, I love them, you can have this predictability. Hey, we, we average 15% open and 20% click-throughs and blah, blah, blah. And you own that user. You can learn so much about them. You can apply all those learnings. It, it's amazing. The reality of it is, though, is there's, there's a lot of work to keep up with that user, there's uh, audience fatigue. There's, you know, unless you've got a, a niche and a, and a certain hook, the intent can be tricky to manage and, and, and operationalize and leverage. When you come to the search world, it's like, no, if, if, you, if you've got a great niche and you rank for 50 valuable terms, let's just say around email newsletter software, you know, you can just sit there and it's, it's just like a dividend. There's a certain amount of searches that come in every day. You've got the right optimizations on your landing page. You can just convert them over and over. And um, there's nuance with Google that you have to keep up with that you've touched on that's incredibly important. But I, I like that there's a user base out there that can eventually, of course, become your email newsletter, you know, as well, that, you know, you're just not going to necessarily reach those people if you're email newsletter alone. There's these people that are kind of come through search, that are researching or whatever they are. And if you're not there, someone else is going to bring them onto their platform or experience. And so 
if you're missing out on it, completely not investing in it, I think that's perhaps a, a point of opportunity. The argument to be made that I've heard from more, uh, it's crazy to call traditional newsletter operators at this point, but the more newsletter forward businesses is that they almost compete with each other. And what you would argue is like, hey, have a landing page on your site that converts 60% of the people in the email. This is the best way to do it. You know, Morning Brew, The Hustle, The Skim all had the same landing page for years. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that Morning Brew now doesn't have that. They're obviously caring a little bit more about SEO and having that. But the priorities go against each other. I agree with you, though, that the reality is like you're never going to grow your business after a certain point if you're just only only focusing on the one channel. And I think it's a pretty big mistake that a lot of publishers are making now. I know some, I think, very, I don't know what you'd call them, 2.0, 3.0 newsletter, like very recent, you know, modern, high-scale sort of players. And they come to me with questions about SEO now, and they, those weren't the questions they had a year ago. And so I do think probably Morning Brew is a big catalyst of this. There are people in the industry thinking differently about, wait a minute, we, we believe in what we're doing with newsletter, but... We want to think about SEO. We want to think about paid search. My sense is, you know, it's an awesome place when you have those three sources, to your point. And I think three great sources are a search strategy, a a newsletter strategy, and and a direct audience that's just got you bookmarked and just comes in directly. When you've got those three, particularly branded search, Google just rewards this stuff consistently. And um, if you've got several thousand people a day that search for your newsletter, and they come in on your site, that's a nice place to be. And that plays in the more holistic, like brand marketing, et cetera, that you can do. I think that my favorite part about this is I would have classified best reviews in the past as like, that is a straight commerce play. You know, there's like, from an editorial perspective, a lot of, there's a lot of criticisms to uh, the New York Times and the way that they were doing affiliate within their affiliate network that recently came out. How do you, for publishers that are looking to get in this affiliate game, because it's it's a beautiful business. I mean, look at NerdWallet. I mean, you can see the margins are there. NerdWallet could fire 400 of their 500 staff members or whatever and still make $100 million this year. How do you think about, from a content perspective, what advice do you give to publishers of keeping the line of trust and authenticity while also optimizing for click and value to that product? I think that the answer probably continues to evolve as the ecosystem evolves, but the, I think there's three that don't change. It's um, contextual relevancy, it's voice and consistency. Those three, and I can expand a little bit on both. If, if your site has always been about gardening and you go off and start writing commerce content about interior design, maybe you'll succeed over some period of time, but the chances that's long-term successful with Google and users, I think is really low. So I think being honest about what is it that your site's really good at? What do your users come to you for? Do they trust you for advice on beauty? Well, guess what? Start your commerce effort around beauty. That contextual relevancy is is bullet number one. And then thing I think behind it is like, what is that voice? Is it a wire cutter, more kind of authoritative, maybe speaks down to certain people, but maybe that's what they want? Is it a consumer reports. There's just, there's a bunch of different voices, and and you know at Best Reviews we thought a lot about the kind of sophisticated uncle or neighbor who really knew his way around products, but was like you know your neighbor, someone so super approachable and doesn't speak down to people, and that was what we stuck with, and that re- resonated. And then just being consistent with that, this is our wheelhouse of context. We only stay in these 
call it 20 different product categories or two. And then we, we, we have the same voice. Yes, we may write a listicle. We may do a deal of the day. We might do a special piece on, on Prime Day or Black Friday. That's all fine, but it should all line up with the consistent voice and stay in the, in the contextual relevancy bucket. If you nail those, I think you, you increase your odds of success. There's a lot of details and nuance around landing pages, design, and all this sort of thing, page load speed. But I think if you fail on those, you're going to um, be in a, in a tough spot. You just hinted there of like landing page and speed. I like to tell people like there's creation and there's optimization, like create something great first within the context, focus on that. You can always optimize later, but if you're not actually writing content that is relevant to the audience, the brand that you're building, your expertise that you have, like the conversion is just not going to be there. You can always optimize later. When you're looking ahead for the industry as a whole, let's let's kind of classify this as like um, on the affiliate basis and retail basis front. Over the next 12 months, what do you think is the next big shift? What are you really looking at of like that's going to kind of turn the industry upside down? It's becoming clear to me the concept of retail media is completely underrepresented in terms of mindshare. And mm. it, it came clear to me, I was at Can Lion over the summer and like, you had a handful of people like, man, Amazon's really got an ad business now. Yeah, it's been growing. It's like this thing's Facebook a few years ago, but it's growing faster than Facebook was then. And so I think this there's there's a billion dollar retail media business at Target that's like almost unknown to the masses. You know, Walmart's brought in the former head of Amazon's ad business, Seth Delaire. I think across the board, the lines are incredibly blurry every incremental month and quarter between Am I on a retail site or am I on an ad site? And is this like, I'm on a publisher site or am I buying a product here? Like when you're walking through these flows, my sense is an, another year from now, it becomes more gray. You know, is Best Buy a retail business or are they a media business? Because guess what? All their EBITDA comes from ads, right? That might be a world we live in in the not too distant future because there's a possibility that unless your name's Walmart or Amazon, you can't be necessarily very EBITDA or profitable in your traditional retail business. However, you might be able to drive a lot of revenue and EBITDA as an advertiser, and you've got this incredible first-party data. People know that Adam has purchased these products, and so the amount of targeting and optimizations you can do around that is pretty enormous. That's honestly an amazing insight. I've, I've talked to tons of people. I've never had that brought up. I've, I've met the Walmart team and the Sam's Club team that do ads and they're killers. They're like actually full-blown, amazing meet. I mean, they would lead any other media company on their ads business. They're, they're great at what they do. People don't think about that. What's my hope with that is that they're taking that margin. And, you know, I was at Under Armour and we had ads on my fitness pal and all that good stuff. There's a lot of failure there that I could talk about on a different day, but what you hope to do with that margin is actually just provide better support services, et cetera, for your core competency. And so to me, my hope is if Walmart's getting into that, which I think we've started to see Best Buy getting into that, now you're doing faster shipping. You're doing curbs that you're doing the pieces that would destroy the margins of a normal retail business, but they're able to adapt and thrive potentially through change, through using advertising there. And if you combine data and, and attention, 
there's going to be advertising sooner or later is kind of an inevitable truth that I, uh, that I live by. Uh, so I love that. I think that's something that we'll start to see over the next year and for years to come, that's probably going to be an interesting case. And you really wonder going back if these failed retailers, JC Penney's, et cetera, if you think about all of the D to C brands that they could have had advertised on their site, could they have made it? Maybe. Here's where I think another, this may be wrong, it may not be the next year, but there's this aspect of, I think, digital coming into the store with you. And I think Walmart will be the first, or perhaps one opinion is Walmart may be the first to truly nail that. Because if you think about now, the placements in the stores are pretty like static. The amount of dynamism there is lowish, but there's some innovations coming down where I think you'll see more. Because think about it, if you if you think about a CPC and, a, and an auction online, people are adapting by the second on what they'll bid for a user. Think of what that could be in a store. It's not there today, really. But I think that the chances that we see innovation there in the next 12 months, or at least the coming years, is extremely high. Because Walmart's thinking about their edge. Their edge is the store more so than anything else. How can they take that store, combine it with the online, and create better consumer experiences? You brought up two of them, the curbside pickup, but at the curbside pickup, how compelling is it if there's something either happening on your phone or on an iPad where they're coming out to you with one product and upselling another, promoting a subscription? I'm pretty sure Procter & Gamble will pay to have some sort of reminder that you should keep buying Tide when they're dropping the Tide into your car. I think with shelf space, there's also something that's like going to be so easy for them to like automate pricing change, uh, the locations of those and automate. Like if you're looking at like how how that's adapting just with like the visual differences of shelf space and the pricing of that, buying that six months in advance, if you could turn that into minutes, that just changes things drastically. What we will probably see on that front is innovation internally from Walmart and those It'll be interesting to see if one of those end up creating an AWS sort of product uh, that ends up being an industry standard that they could use across their their larger competitors that they built for themselves. So much is changing. That was, I, I could probably go another 30 minutes around the retail media. I might have to start thinking about that for a work week niche uh, of someone covering that because it's a huge space. I, I totally agree. But what do you think in the next five years is like just going to be absolutely the same for your industry? I think if if I look at kind of commerce and, and content overall, I think that the the standards that have been set around you know certain delivery times and and certain user experiences aren't going to change. I think this idea that you can send products in you know multiple weeks for shipping, I just think consumers have been preconditioned by Amazon in particular to want a certain amount of speed. And I think speed is going to maintain itself as a core priority in the ecosystem, whether in the delivery is the one case, but the other case it's like, no, you, you just, you've got to have a fast load speed for your page on the internet. I don't see that reversing. I see it staying the same. It may get faster. So I think you can look at it. I could give you 50 more examples, but I think speed will be a consistent constant. You, you've got to be fast with what you're doing. Unless your company's name is Amazon or Walmart, and then guess what? You want to be a little more deliberate because you're enormous. I think speed, though, what what you're pointing out is speed has this beautiful two-sided aspect where consumers feel like they're winning and businesses make more money. 
And like you impulse buy more, you add to your cart more, your turnaround time of your average order value is higher. All the business metrics are so much better, but consumers still feel like it's better for them. There's not a lot of opportunities to normally have where consumers feel better while they also spend more money and speed and retail is clearly the option. And to your point, taking that to retail media, though, and thinking through that lens offers a whole suite of solutions that Target and more could start to offer rather than just like curbside pickup. Hundred percent. It's it's um, it's going to be fascinating to watch this unfold. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I really appreciate the time, Ben. This was super interesting. I'd love to have you back on again to cover retail media as I go into to topics in the future. I think that's a whole nother another lane. Congratulations on everything you did with Best Reviews and the acquisition and what you're doing today. And thank you for announcing the new product. I can't wait to see see the larger announcement of, of how you're helping retailers and publishers. Where can folks follow you and, and learn more about Advan? Yeah, so um, I'm on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. I think I'm the only person named Ben Fall that I'm aware of. So real easy to, to catch up with me there. And um, I'll be sharing some news on this new project which will be pretty exciting that I'll, I'll push out along with this um, podcast. So awesome. wherever you uh, tap into work week, you'll be able to learn a little more. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into Perpetual and listening to Ben and I dive into content to commerce. Feel free to give us five stars if you think it was worth it today. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you want deep insight and hot takes on the world of media, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. I'll see you next time. Bye.